Optimistic Ezekiel Elliott will be ready to play week number one. Jerry Jones indicated that the Cowboys have made some progress in their contract talks with the star running back. Ezekiel Elliott also flew from Cabo back to Dallas to be prepared to play if signed. September call-ups are upon us in Major League Baseball. Kyle Tucker will get some playing time for the Houston Astros, one of the top prospects in the Houston minor league system. For the Dodgers, Gavin Lux played second base and went two for five from the dish. He scored three runs in a round of the Rockies on Monday night. And out at the FIBA World Cup in Shanghai, the U.S. got a tough test in round number one as Turkey took the Yanks to overtime, 93-92. The final score, USA on top. In this game, Jason Tatum was injured. A wait word on his prognosis. I'm Dan Stravin. This has been your Fantasy Sports Radio Network news update. Stay tuned to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network for more updates at the top of every hour. Live from the betting capital of the world. Vegas, baby, Vegas! It's Wager Talk with Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels. Tuesday, September 3rd, 2019. I'm Teddy Covers. He's Ralph Michaels. You can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore Covers. You can follow Ralph at CalSportsLV. And Ralph, what a weekend. We have a ton to talk about on today's show. We'll do our best to get you informed in an hour right here on Way to Talk. Let's get right into it. Welcome to all of our Zumo viewers, Channel 719. Welcome to all of you who are watching on the app. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's get right into it. Segment one, we like to talk bad beats, bad bets, and bad for the books. And let's start. We have a full college football weekend to talk about. And I need to ask you, Ralph, which was the worst beat? If you had Northwestern plus the points, or if you had Auburn, <laughs> or if you had, or you had Oregon plus the points. Uh, both of them, brutal beats right at the end of the game. There is no question it was Northwestern because I had Northwestern. But honestly, uh, I think Northwestern is the, is the worst of the two beats for this reason. Auburn was still playing to win the game. You play to the final buzzer to win the game. The game was already decided in the Stanford game, and the quarterback sack slash fumble caused a difference in the ATS or the cover in the game. So to me, no question, one game was already decided. One team was just playing out the finish, trying to win a game. See, for me, I'm going to go the other way, and this is why. Okay, If you watch the two games, Northwestern was not a right side in that game against Stanford. Stanford was the better team throughout. Northwestern's offense didn't work. They got a cheap touchdown late to sneak in under the number. And then, uh, obviously, the fumble six, sack fumble, blah, blah, blah. Uh, with the player, right? All they had to do was fall on the ball. If they get a safety, it's only two points. That if the touchdown it was five. But Northwestern was not the right side in that game. You can make case they were the wrong side. They were lucky to be in it. On the other hand... With Auburn, Oregon, Oregon played a great first half. Auburn was clearly the better team in the second half. So I thought that because maybe Northwestern wasn't the right side and Oregon was early, maybe that one was bad. The bottom line, if you had Northwestern and Oregon in your pocket on Saturday, karma owes you a favor because those were two tough, tough beats. Let's talk about the TV chalk. The last three TV games I saw were USC winning and failing to cover, Oklahoma winning and failing to cover, and Notre Dame 
winning and failing to cover. So the favorites get the job done from their own perspective. They win the games. But here in Vegas, USC, Oklahoma, Notre Dame all go down in flames and their backers are ripping up their tickets uh, immediately after. Well, you know, to me, the USC is obviously the most concerned losing JT Daniels. Again, their backup quarterback, Sears, uh, transferred out last week. So that puts them in such a bad spot. But again, uh, it was concerning for me that USC defense allowed Fresno to move up and down the field like they did and put up 400 plus yards. You know, the other games you have big chalk in a situation where you were playing teams that were expected to move the ball, at least in Houston's case. Uh, So to me, the most disappointing of that trio not covering was the way USC's defense let them down. Yeah, I mean, I I was very impressed with Louisville early yesterday uh, in the game against Oklahoma. Uh, But in the game against Notre Dame, I should say. But a lot of that was the Irish defense missing some tackles, facing an offense that they weren't familiar with. Once Notre Dame settled down defensively, they looked pretty good uh, against that Louisville defense. I wouldn't take anything away from Notre Dame from yesterday's victory. And a similar story with Oklahoma. They're up 28-0. They fall asleep. That happens week one. I did not downgrade the Sooners in my power rating, despite the fact they failed to cover and their defense wasn't as good in the second half with the backups on the field as it was in the first half with the starters on the field. Yeah, that exact of same situation. Yeah, sorry, I'm that sorry, Rob. exact same situation happened with the Ohio State getting up 28 nothing against Florida Atlantic. It's another team I didn't downgrade. They just jumped out, scored so easy the first four times. You do sit on your hands when you get that big lead early in the first quarter. Sure, and a lot of times if you're up, sometimes you want a situation like what we'll talk about now with the top comebacks of the weekend. You might want a situation with your favorite like Rutgers had or like Wyoming had, two teams that were down 14 nothing early. And all of a sudden, hey, let's wake up, you know, particularly you're the favorite. I mean, Rutgers, you know, they got slapped around early. and They're like, no, 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 not this year. And they came back and dominated the rest of the way. Wyoming's comeback had a lot to do, I think, with uh, Missouri's quarterback. Kelly Bryant did not have a good debut uh, in a Tigers uniform. But complete story, first half versus second half with Boise, Florida State. Nevada with a wild comeback against Purdue after Purdue turned the ball over five times. And let's not forget North Carolina with the upset over South Carolina. So a bunch of significant comebacks on the opening Saturday, or the opening weekend, I should say, of college football. Well, you look at Wyoming, you look at Nevada, the two Mountain West upsets, they were aided by turnovers, plus three or plus four turnovers in both games. Boise just outplayed Florida State. UNC impressed the heck out of me. I I upgraded them quite a bit. Uh, Hats off to... uh, to that coach making a second appearance here at the school and Mac Brown. Sure. But uh, Mac Brown got away with, I think m- what might've been the single biggest brain fart of the entire day on Saturday, when he took a knee on fourth down from midfield, instead of punting the ball away that allowed South Carolina shot the end zone. That was a brain fart. That was a senior moment, dude. That was a problem for Mac Brown. So he yeah. got his team ready and then he almost gave it away. Hey, you know, age shows in certain degrees. Completely agree. Uh, there were other uh, questionable calls, but that one was a head scratcher. I mean, they, they could have cost him the game. Could have been literally your coach just cost you the game. Oops, sorry. You don't want that when you're a double-digit dog about to pull an upset. 
Real quick, Ralph, we had three quarterbacks go down with injury. USC lost JT Daniels for the season. South Carolina, Jake Bentley's going to be out at least six weeks. And Stanford, too, with KJ Costello. He's hurt, though we don't know what his status is going to be moving forward just yet. 30 seconds or less. What do you got of the QB? Yeah, obviously, USC's is the biggest because your number two transferred out. You know, and don't forget, in that uh, in that Stanford game, uh, TJ Green went out as well with a sore foot, so he's questionable. Uh, South Carolina, one of the biggest disappointments for me, with or without your quarterback. Uh, the Gamecocks just no-showed against the Tar Heels. When we come back here on Wager Talk, we're going to get into a deep dive, what we really learned from week one of the college football season. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. football the key here not about okay this is what happened what does it mean for this week what does it mean moving forward that's the focus here on wager talk it's not about looking back to look back and rip people it's about looking back to learn what we can gain from last weekend so we can make educated wagers and better wagers this week so let's start with this all right Week one, college football, the number one angle that everyone talks about is returning starters. People like to bet on teams that have a bunch of returning starters. They don't like to bet on teams that have only a few returning starters. But from a point spread perspective, this year, the teams with the fewest returning starters, Ralph, they kicked ass, ATS. What happened? Why do we see all the teams with the fewest starters back get the money this past weekend? Well, it's simply a case. You know, there were 10 teams this season that returned 17 or more starters. Those 10 teams went four and six straight up, four, five, and one against the spread. Lesson learned is this. When you have a lot of returning starters and they weren't very good last year, they don't magically turn into good starters this year. So when you have a solid team returning a lot of starters, that's one thing. When you have a poor team returning a bunch of starters, take note that it doesn't always translate into a huge improvement. On the flip side, those teams with just nine or fewer returning starters this season went a very impressive nine and four straight up and nine and four against the spread. We're seeing people play a lot of young players here and it's making a difference early in the year. And when we talk about betting successfully over the long term, what we're looking for is areas that the markets overvalue or undervalue, because those are areas where savvy bettors can come in and over a period of time make positive expectation wagers. And we're talking about teams with nine or fewer returning starters kicking butt and taking names when it came to ATS. I can guarantee you next year, week one, we'll see the same thing. Oh, they got nobody back. Oh, and no starters back. That's something 
you want to file away for next year, week one. The markets have overreacted to teams losing a bunch of starters. And oftentimes those are value-laden squads at the very beginning of the season. Now let's talk freshman quarterback, particularly the true Frosh QBs. There were four true Frosh QBs starting their team's opener. Boise with Hank Brackmeyer, North Carolina with Sam Howell, Auburn with Bo Nix, and Arizona State with Jalen Daniels. What do the markets do when they see a Frosh QB? They bet against them. That's what they do. The markets knee-jerk. What happened with the Frosh QBs? 4-0 straight up, 3-1 against the spread. Ralph, they were money winners, every one of them. Yeah, they were. The Arizona State uh, gave up a late touchdown to Kent State. But, you know, we saw Trevor Lawrence set a new precedent. Just like in basketball, these kids now are playing AAUs at incredibly young ages. They have, they have, they have trainers. They have coaches teaching them through. These quarterbacks are the exact same way. They're playing peewee. They're playing CYO ball. They're getting coached. They're in, they're in diet regiments. They're in training regiments. These kids are now mentally ready to play. The times have changed where I played against True Frost. I played against North Carolina, not as a major play, and I played against Boise State. So I was at fault doing that. It's something I'll learn moving forward, but don't be so quick just to discount a team with a True Frost quarterback. And that's so key, Ralph, because there's a lot of what I call knee-jerk reactions. Where the markets go, oh, it's a frosh, boom, let's bet the other side. Boom, knee-jerk, knee-jerk here, knee-jerk there. We try to avoid those knee-jerk reactions here on Wager Talk and look at the actual facts and data, which says the teams with the fewest starters and the teams with the frosh QBs are actually money winners. Now let's talk about the upset, because there was a bunch of upsets. The, and a bunch of double-digit upsets. What was there? Six double-digit upsets. Georgia State was plus 24 at Tennessee. Heck, they were as high as plus 27. Uh, at the open, they win the game straight up. Wyoming looked like they were going to get destroyed against Missouri, the first two series. It was three and out Wyoming, Missouri touchdown, three and out Wyoming, Missouri touchdown. It felt like a 72 to nothing game. And instead, Wyoming rallies back, wins 37-31 as 15 and a half point dogs. North Carolina closed 11 and a half point dogs. They won straight up. Nevada rallied from behind against Purdue as 11 point dogs. They won straight up. Uh, Hawaii one straight up against Arizona as 10-point dogs. Central Arkansas, plus 10 against Western Kentucky. That's an FCS squad in Central Arkansas, but they still got the win. Then Boise, plus 6.5-7, and Boston College, the end of the upsets for Saturday. What do we do with their opponents? Tennessee, Missouri, South Carolina, Purdue, Western Kentucky, Arizona, Florida State, Virginia Tech, all losing as favorites, Ralph. Is that a season breaker, or is it a bounce-back spot, or is it case-by-case basis. What teams out of that group do you think will be bet on this week? And who do we think we might want to look to bet against? Well, I think it's certainly a case-by-case based on how you lost the game. We talked about Purdue. We talked about Missouri. Both of those were minus three or more turnovers. They had a yardage edge and they were in control of the game. They gave the game away late because of turnovers. Those teams, I tend to think, can bounce back easier. You know, one betting one betting rule that I've used for 10-plus seasons is when a team loses to an FCS team like Western Kentucky did, 
People tend to throw that team under the bus far more than any other upset. And I do like to bet on a team off an FCS loss. But when I have a team like Tennessee that just got outplayed, you know, on Twitter at halftime, I turned on the Tennessee Georgia State game and I tweeted out after five minutes in the third quarter, the better team on the field is Georgia State. They were more enthusiastic. They were crisper with their blocks. More men were piling on the ball on defense. I think they compl- I think they were 9 of 13 on third down. They were the better team. I have my concerns for Tennessee this week against BYU, and I have my Tennessees especially for Tennessee if they lose that game as well. So I look at it and I say, well, boom. Florida State got outplayed. We'll see how they react. The teams that played well in Missouri and Purdue, I look to play on. And the teams that actually just got manhandled against an inferior opponent, my first inclination is to fade. If I'm not on them this week, it's certainly a note you want to make moving forward to week number three. Yeah, I'll tell you this. I don't want BYU in Tennessee this weekend. And I know there's a lot of concerns about whether the Vols are done already. If they come to play, they can beat BYU by multiple touchdowns. We had three teams on the field defensively for more than 100 plays this past week. And when you're on the field for 100-plus plays on the defensive side of the football, Ralph, that tends to hold and have effects the following week as well as the first week. Absolutely. I think most people look at plays and they think, well, the offense, I'm going to look to bet overs on Boise, Wake Forest and Bowling Green. Those are the three teams that all ran 105 plays or more. While I agree with that philosophy, don't forget about the opposite sides. You have Florida State and Utah State whose defense were on the field for those plays, especially early in the year. No matter where you practice, no matter where the situation, we saw a lot of players gassed. And if I can play against the defense that was on the field for that long, I will do so. Yeah, so the three teams that ran, uh, the opponent's team was on the field for 100-plus plays last week, Boise, Wake, Bowling Green. Last but not least, Ralph, teams that had a big turnover margin in week one are teams we want to pay attention to. There's a potential that teams that were uh, plus four in turnovers or higher are overvalued moving forward, and teams that were minus four in turnovers, undervalued moving forward. And we have a situation with that Hawaii-Arizona game that honestly hasn't happened very often, only once in the last 61 times that you have tracked. Colorado State, Virginia Tech, New Mexico State were all minus four turnovers more, including Ohio, including Hawaii. Only once in 61 games has a team as a dog won with minus four turnovers like Hawaii did week zero. When we come back, big game breakdowns right here on Wager. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your Daily Roto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. in 
a FanDuel or DraftKings tournament in their lineup using the DailyRoto.com DFS lineup optimizer. Or join the countless number of people who have won thousands of dollars playing DFS using DailyRoto.com. If you are playing daily fantasy sports and not using DailyRoto.com, you're doing it wrong. Sign up now for the NFL annual pass with a faster optimizer, smarter DFS DFS projections, and better results. Enter promo code ACTION, that's A-C-T-I-O-N, ACTION, for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. DailyRoto.com, where millionaires are made. Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels here on Wager Talk, breaking down all the big matchups for this weekend. Let's get right into it. It is week one of the NFL season. I know everyone who's watching, just about everyone who's watching, is interested in our take on these NFL games. We've got a bunch to go through. We'll do some NFL today and some college. We'll try to do that on every show so we get through all the games throughout the course of the week. And let's start with the Thursday night, the lid lifter. The opener, the Chicago Bears, minus three and 46 and a half against the Green Bay Packers. Ralph, what's your take on the Bears and the Packers? Well, again, let's start it off with the wow sort of number that week one division dogs 17-4-1 against the spread. That makes you think, are these week one lines a little inflated? When you're playing a division foe, you tend to be a little more conservative. You tend to not gamble as much, and those scores are closer. But you look at Green Bay and their season last year, 1-7 on the road, 2-6 and six against the spread. And the question is, did Green Bay lose a notch? Or was it the bye-bye Mike McCarthy uh, season? And I think I tend to, to lean with the latter. Uh, while I have the Bears as the better roster, while I actually make the Bears four points better in this role, Rodgers and Green Bay have dominated the Bears when healthy. And Aaron Rodgers getting a field goal is a situation that I am not going to play against very often. So this is a point spread that has been trickling down for most. I mean, open four, and then it was three and a half, and then it was bet down to three, and there was a little head fake up to three and a half. Now it's back down to three. It looks like we're going to see more Green Bay money between now and kickoff. If you like the Bears, I might wait to get involved in this. If you like the Packers and you haven't gotten your wager down, I would do that sooner rather than later. You talked about the division dogs in week one and what a strong, powerful trend that has been. You know, significant moneymaker, better than, what, 80% uh, since 2014. But I want to talk about Soldier Field here. For decades, and I mean decades, I moved to Vegas in 98 and I had Soldier Field as one of my weakest home field advantages in the NFL. And that didn't change throughout the first decade of the 21st century. It didn't change for the first seven years of the second decade of the 21st century. And then last year, all of a sudden, the Bears are winning games and covering point spreads at Soldier Field, whereas the Packers, who had been very good on the highway, That didn't happen last year. Green Bay was not a good road team, and Chicago was an excellent team at home. Do you think that the Soldier Field home field edge is something that's variable from season to season? 
Do you think it's a coaching issue? How do you deal with home fields in the NFL? Ralph Michaels, I'm asking you. Well, they're they're pretty they're they're pretty close. I mean, in college football, an example, I go from six and a half in a Penn State whiteout and an LSU night game down to one. I have a five and a half point difference. In the NFL, I go from two to to a couple three and a halfs. Those three and a halfs are Kansas City and Seattle. So basically everyone is a one point gap. So to me, I don't look too much into the home field edge. And again, only only one point separates 30 of the 32 teams. Right. The very best versus the very worst. One last note with the Bears and the Packers. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this game more before the week is through. But Aaron Rodgers, the best quarterback in the NFL. How about this? Yards per pass attempts. All quarterbacks in the league with over 200 pass attempts over the last four years. Aaron Rodgers, number 27 in yards per attempt. The Packers don't have the weapons that they did earlier in his career, and that may well be a problem against a Bears defense that continued to create turnovers in bunches throughout the preseason, just like they did last year. Obviously, Chicago last year was the NFL's number one turnover-creating team at 36 turnovers created. That was then. This is now. The markets always expect reversion to the mean. That Bears defense still looks pretty good to this better. Teddy, Minnesota. Well, here, you got a question for me, Ralph. Go. What do we got? Let me jump into this. And this is something I didn't have on our outline, but it's something I looked up and I found it very interesting moving forward. We may be doing one less game, but I think it's a very good thing to go over with our cappers and with our followers. And this is what I looked up. I went back and I looked uh, I looked at how teams did with win totals. And what I discovered was that when you took teams that had four or five NFL win totals the previous year, when they won four or five games, the next year they went 14 and three against the spread on the road week one. When you took NFL teams that won nine, 10, or 11 wins the season before, week one on the road, they went 13, 23, and two. So is that a carryover where people think a four and five win team starting next season is going to be so poor and a carryover where they think teams that won nine, 10, or 11 are going to be so good that the line is overinflated because of those numbers? Well, to me, that it, it smells a little bit like the, like you're you're trying to make your database perfect. I, I, I want five or less. I don't want just four or five. Are the very bad teams having that same point spread success? And rather than nine, ten, eleven, I say, you know, are the nine plus win teams? You know, because we don't want to. I mean, we do want a data mine, but we don't want a data mine in the sense of all right. Well, here are the four and five win teams are good, but the three win team isn't. You know. To me, that, that, that smells of randomness a little bit. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, so I, I will. We'll follow up tomorrow. I'll have all those numbers. I will tell you this. The categories that I chose were probably 
75 or 80 percent of the total games in that group because there were so few teams with zero and one that it really sure. didn't matter it was zero and one or one and oh that i didn't include him because there wasn't a significant thing but hey for our viewers we'll uh we'll start tomorrow's nfl segment with that where i'll give you the breakdown of one through five and all the way from nine through 16 wins actually because one thing i mean ralph michaels your database i will say this Without a shadow of a doubt, your database is second to none. I've yet to see anyone that's able to generate more usable data that goes league-wide. They go, oh, well, no, the Kansas City Chiefs in this. No, we don't care about that. We care about teams in this role over a period of time do this. Those are meaningful trends and meaningful angles. That's why. That's not the only reason why, but that's one of the many reasons why, Ralph. We love to have you on every single day vikings and the falcons minnesota minus four 47 and a half the total the early money sneaking in on atlanta there's some three and a half starting to pop up on my live odds screen and well i guess you can understand some of it perhaps because minnesota offensively there's still a ton of question marks about that team can kirk cousins take the next step or is he what he is which is mediocre and if he is mediocre do you want the good quarterback catching points even against what looks to be a pretty nasty vikings defense well again you have the same situation the better quarterback catching points and Minnesota is a team that has one of those better home fields. No question. When the defense is playing up, it, the the fans are an important part. The Vikings 19-5-1 as a home favorite. To me, while I lean with the Falcons, I need Julio Jones in the lineup. We'll see what happens if he's going to be there with his contract. But if Julio Jones isn't there, I want no part of the Atlanta team despite having a dog of and a better quarterback with Ryan. Let's get through one more before the break. And this is a fun one for the NFC East. The Philadelphia Eagles, minus nine and a half, total of 46 against the Skins from Washington. When you look at the meetings between these two teams the last two years, Ralph, they haven't been all that competitive. Washington does fall into that 17-4-1 angle for division dogs week one. But if you look at how the Redskins have matched up against the Eagles, it's been downright ugly in recent season. Well, you, you look at, I also looked up week one, division favorites of eight and a half or more since 2005. So we're talking 14 years. There have only been eight division favorites of eight and a half or more week one. Those teams like Philadelphia have gone one and seven against the spread. My question back to you, Teddy, to finish this up. Philly has Atlanta on deck. If they're winning comfortably, do they just put the offense away and just get the win and and keep things some things hidden for Atlanta next week? I don't think that's the case because Carson Wentz didn't play in the preseason. So if you're uh, Philadelphia and you're sitting here, all right, we're up by three touchdowns in the fourth, you still need to keep your offense on the field and you need to keep it rolling. It's not preseason anymore. These guys are expected to go for 60 full minutes. That Eagles pass rush has a potential to wreak havoc uh, on Washington without Trent Williams on the offensive line. Eric Flowers, that's not a matchup I want to see against Philly. 
Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Covers at Teddy underscore covers on Twitter. Ralph Michaels at Cal Sports LV on Twitter. Sports Grid at Sports Grid on Twitter. And download that Sports Grid app. I believe we'll be live streamed and you'll be able to get us on demand via the Sports Grid app starting this week. So, yeah, download the app, huh, guys. What are you waiting on? All right. Let's get into it. College football style. And I'm one of these guys, Ralph, I can't help myself. You know, you have something that gets ingrained in your brain in your formative years, and you're just stuck with it forever. And that, of course, whenever I hear Marshall, I'm like, Marshall, Marshall, Marshall. It's always Chris Berman in my head. Boise State Broncos, minus 10.5, total of 55 against the Marshall, 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 thundering herd, thundering herd with a nice performance on opening day, overshadowed by what Boise did on their trip to Tallahassee. I, you know, besides Georgia State moving up, I moved up Boise uh, three in my power ratings, which was the second most that I moved anyone. And, you know, going to Florida State and winning is one thing, but, you know, you were minus turnovers. You had 38 first downs. For a team to have a 38-19 first down edge, in Tallahassee with a freshman quarterback. So to be honest with you, I don't know what to make of this Boise State team. It's a team that I am going to watch so closely. My power ratings have the number at 14, which says I should favor Boise. But coming off that emotionally, and it had to be draining day as well, while they were better prepared for the heat and humidity than Florida State, it's a game that I am just going to watch and learn to see if I underestimated how good Brian Harson is as a coach with a young quarterback. And I'll tell you this, the blue turf in Boise, you talk about the changing value of home fields over time. At one point, I had Boise as the single strongest home field in all of college football. And then gradually over a period of years, it declined into a stronger than average. Then gradually it declined into an average. Look at Boise as home chalk the last couple of years. They've been point spread disaster, a nightmare laying points with the Broncos. And again, this was a team coming off as big a win as they're going to have all year laying double digits. It's a very dicey spot for the Broncos. If Boise does play well here and controls this game, they're bigger than Marshall in the trenches. They should be able to do exactly what they did last week against Florida State, which is run the ball down their throat. If Boise can do that, it means that they're at least somewhat spot impervious moving forward. We're not going to worry about the spots as much as we worry about this one. But I'm with you. I have a hard time laying with Boise in this spot. I want to learn and see, is this a team we can trust off a big win or maybe not so much. The Michigan Wolverines didn't really sniff a point spread cover in week one. Neither did the Army Black Knights, for that matter. They were laying more than three touchdowns and only scored two. 
That's not a good ratio if you're backing them. Michigan, minus 23, total of 48 against Army in a game that should be played, Ralph, at a snail's pace. Look at that total. And I'll tell you what, if I'm betting this total, I ain't betting the over. Yeah, I, there's only one way to go is betting the under. And, and you know, you look at Michigan last week. Uh, to me, it was a complete disappointment. You had a 453 to 301-yard edge to Middle Tennessee. Yeah, that Middle Tennessee is also without a four-year starting quarterback named Stockstill, the coach's son. To, to have the 40-21 win is a negative for me. And you can't say as a Michigan alum or a Michigan fan, oh, we were looking ahead to Army next week. It doesn't happen. Michigan only had a 27-14 edge at halftime. I think the game it, it stays in the trenches, the lower-scoring game. And I like Army plus the points here. Michigan, again, 0 five as a favorite their last five in that role this is my biggest concern with army in that game ralph i can't figure out how they're going to score if they can't score against rice okay this is not a team that can throw the football they can't stretch the field they've got to schematically out scheme the wolverines and all their gains you know four yards in a cloud of dust six yards in a cloud of dust where does army get a 20 plus yard play in this game i don't see one and that really concerns me about packing the, uh, about backing the Knights here because I don't know how they're going to score. And when I don't see any, a way that a team – that, that could even include the back door. You know, do you see – I mean, how does Army's offense work against this, uh, this level of D? Well, Michigan, Michigan usually gets off to a slow start on defense, and we haven't seen that shutdown defense we've had. So, you know, I believe – Army week one was an aberration, perhaps a very improved Rice team. But you have to remember, there's a big advantage playing an option team week one like Rice did. All summer, you're practicing against that week one opponent where Michigan doesn't have that same. Yes, I'm sure they looked at it somewhat knowing they had him in game two, but it is a big difference playing him in week number two. Excellent point, Ralph. Excellent. Excellent point. Job well done. Look at that guy. He's on it. Purdue and Vandy. All right. Purdue, I mean, what do we say about the game that they blew? And they, they gave that game to the Wolfpack. Nevada wasn't the, wasn't the better team. Purdue looked to be in control, and they're like, let's cough it up. Let's cough it up again. That was a choke job by Purdue. Now they're back at home laying 7.5, total of 55.5 against a Vanderbilt team that, I mean, they were pretty badly outclassed against Georgia. They did not look pretty in that ballgame. And that, in particular, was a bad result for the books. There weren't a whole lot of bets on Vandy this past Saturday. Well, you know, I, I like Vandy in this game. Purdue's defense gave up nine plays of 10 yards or more in the second half. You have a Vanderbilt team with a graduate transfer in Riley Neal, who played at Ball State, going back to his home state. You have a running back in, in Vaughn, that was an Illinois transfer that rushed for 185 yards when he was with Illinois against this Purdue team. And yeah, you could say Vandy gave up 300 some yards rushing to Georgia, but to me, it could have been worse than that. Uh, You know, Purdue coming off the road game and altitude back home, they were 0-4 as a home favorite last year. I like the dog. So let me ask you this. What do you make of a guy like Riley Neal? Okay, who was at Ball State. We're not talking about a guy who was super highly recruited out of high school. We're not talking about a guy that has any pro potential, but he does have experience. 
And now coming from the Mac, he's going to Vandy. Is this the type of quarterback that you think is a bet on guy because of the experience he's had? Or is the fact that, all right, well, he was he was in the Mac, he is who he is. Does that make him a bet against guy moving forward? Or is it, again, case-by-case basis? Yeah, again, I think it's case by case. He only completed, he completed under 60% with Ball State last year, had a 14-6 ratio. You know, he's a little mobile. But again, you know, when you have Ball State, you have a bottom-tier Mac O-line in front of you. You have a bottom-tier Mac receivers to go with you. And not that Vanderbilt isn't the bottom of the SEC, but the bottom of the SEC is levels of more talent than the bottom of the Mac. So going against the Big Ten foe, I just think being surrounded in with the with the extra uh, with the extra better players he has and being a seasoned veteran who's a graduate transfer. I like those graduate transfers that go to these mid these these non high profile schools. Sure. And, uh, you know, and we see it all the time now uh, in college football where the guy gets a shot to play his senior year uh, somewhere else because he's a graduate transfer and figured out how to graduate college on time. Uh, sometimes it works out very well. Sometimes it doesn't. Riley Neal, we'll see what happens this week at Purdue. Iowa, the Hawkeyes, minus 20 at home. 51 and a half the total against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And we talked a little bit about Rutgers earlier in the show. They got slapped. They got punched in the face early. But they responded well and rally back with a resounding victory. Iowa, they didn't get punched so hard, but Nate Stanley, as the senior QB, he missed some throws I thought he was going to make this past weekend. Well, again, this is a game where you look at the final score and you say Rutgers was impressive, winning 48-21 against an FBS team. But like we talked about last week, I gave out Rutgers as a best bet. That FBS team was UMass, which I have at least 30 FCS teams ahead of them. Then just look back at last year, Rutgers week one beats Texas State 35-7. What do they do the rest of the year? They go winless. Iowa people think, oh, Iowa is stodgy. They run the ball. They pass to their tight ends. They, they can't get margin. Well, this Iowa team is 15-4-2 as a favorite. They've done pretty well in that role, but I will say this. I think a lot of teams at the end of the year look past Rutgers, and Rutgers covered five straight as a dog. Rutgers coming off a win ensures Iowa doesn't look past them. Sure. The Rutgers found a quarterback in the offseason with their own grad transfer, uh, the kid from Texas Tech, McLean uh, Carter, who looked like a real quarterback, which is something that Rutgers hasn't had or surely didn't have last year with Satowski behind center. Syracuse won and covered for me this last week, despite the fact they did nothing like what I thought they were going to do on offense. But their defense pitched a shutout. Who'd have thunk it? Orange now facing a Maryland team that also pitched a shutout this last week. And although the competition for Maryland even weaker than Hugh Freese's Liberty Flames that Syracuse beat this past Saturday. Syracuse, the Orange, minus one and a half. Total 56 and a half, their road chalk in College Park. Well, you know, I think I think Syracuse, Dino Babers, their head coach, just said, we don't need to show anything. Let's not show anything. 368 yards and 17 first downs. You think, oh, my God, this offense is inept against Liberty. 
But again, I think their win was because of the situation they were playing. You have a coach coaching from his hospital bed. It's not a situation you want to blow it up. I, you know, I like I like Syracuse here. Uh, I think the Maryland the Maryland win is giving them some extra value. This Syracuse team has gone eleven and three ATS their last fourteen games. They've gone ten and two. 10 and 2 ATS on the road, their last 12 games. Uh, and I have them higher rated where my power ratings have Syracuse minus four. And I agree with those ratings. Though, I'll tell you what, Tommy DeVito, he looked like a stiff to me. And when I saw him last year, he looked like a stiff as well. Concerns me laying points with the Orange on the road in a game where I'm not convinced they have the better of the two quarterbacks. Let's talk one more real quick. Ohio State, minus 17 and 55 against Cincinnati. The Buckeyes and the Bearcats, the battle of Ohio. And the early money is saying what Cincy did last week, they can't do that again. Early money for the home favorite. I'll tell you what, the Cincy defense is legit. Held opponents under 50% passing last year. Showed what they could do against UCLA. Yeah, I mean, UCLA may not have the offense we expected, but it was still a UCLA team with 17 returning starters in Chip Kelly's second season. Hats off to that. Uh, I think we saw some flaws in Ohio State's offense once they uh, got past those first 28 points. I think Cincy's defense can keep it close. It, of course, is the return of Luke Fickle, who played there and was a coach for 15 years, including one season as the interim head coach. Sure. I mean, Fickle was a defense coordinator in Ohio State. That's how he got the Cincinnati job. It's certainly a game where the Bearcats are going to bring full interest. That being said, I don't see Ohio State looking past their in-state, there's not their rival, their in-state opponent, because the Buckeyes have done a pretty good job of owning the state of Ohio for the better part of the last, oh, I don't know, eight decades or so. That's what Ohio State does. But since he defensively, a scary little team. When we come back, what does responsible gaming mean to you? Ralph will answer right here on Wager Talk. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. your talk and it's time to talk responsible gaming i'm going to tell you exactly what responsible gaming means to me all right i know that many most of our viewers are involved in wagering on a daily basis on a weekly basis on a regular basis if you are betting every day as many of us do the one thing you can't do is bet your rent money bet your car money bet your food money etc etc so when you talk about what is responsible gaming to me, it means making sure that you have enough money, win or lose, to take care of your expenses. If you can't do that, you shouldn't be betting. And it's just that simple. Ralph, what's your take on responsible gaming? You know, again, obviously, Teddy, your point is the most important point. And 
we've all been through this. If you talk anyone to anyone in the industry that, that you and I talk to a lot of cappers, we've all been through the bad stages where we gamble too much, where we borrowed money, where we're trying to bet on Monday night games to, to play catch up. To me, there's a couple couple rules. Number one is bet what you can afford to lose. And don't be don't all of a sudden think someone bets 500, someone bets 1,000, someone bets 10,000. The amount you bet is irrelevant. It's it's important what you can afford to bet, be it any a low number or a high number. Number two, don't chase losses. When you're losing on a Sunday night, if you're if you have Monday night to bet, if you didn't bet that Monday night game already and you didn't like it, don't mon- bet that Monday game to try to play catch up and bet five or six or seven times the amount you would. And then again, always bet in the right frame of mind. If you're if you're losing and you're trying to chase, that's a bad frame of mind. If you've been drinking and think you have a sure bet that you can't lose because you're a little inebriated, those are the type of decisions you don't want to make. So number one, bankroll. Number two, don't chase losses. Number three, always be in the right frame of mind when you're making a wager because it'll affect you for a long time. And I want to talk about number two for just a second here because that's so key. People do this all the time. They're losing and they bet more. They're winning and they bet less. You should do the exact opposite. When you're seeing things clearly and you have your bankroll is growing, that's when you step up your wagers. When you're not seeing things clearly and your bankroll is dwindling, that's when you lower your unit size. It's not rocket science, but it's very simple. To me, that is the best way to get involved when it comes to responsibility. Couldn't catch the live show? Yes. Make sure to download our podcast at the FNTSY Sports Network Audio Boom channel. Oh, so powerful.